it's the end of the week again. It seems to go so fast. A long weekend last weekend, short week, but we still got plenty in the week in review podcast. My name is Michael Crutcher, and as always, joined by Jordan McDonald. Jordan, how are you? Good. I'm very good. It's been a been a busy week. Birthday week. How was the birthday? It was very good. I had a I had a lunch with some mates uh, at Wool and Gabba there, and um, then went to the city, had a few drinks. Responsible. Responsible drinks. Responsible. And uh, <laughs> one of the few Australians whose birthday falls on a public holiday every year. It so does. it's designed very well. So happy birthday and Thanks. another long weekend for yes. Queensland is coming up. Another <laughs> one. We'll talk about a few different things today, but one bounces off what we discussed last week, which was about Netflix and its troubles in the sense of uh, – a massive fall on the stock market with some concerns about user growth in time to come, Mm -hmm. which leads to that wider discussion about we're in an era of subscription models, as you know, whether it's streaming services you subscribe to or news outlets as well. So Mm. we know for the last few years in particular, uh, news outlets have tried very hard to get people to pay for what they read on those outlets um, to be able to sustain their journalism and fund journalism in an era in which classified advertising has moved from newspapers to online. Mm-hmm. So those revenues haven't come in. But this whole talk about peak subscription, which I know has been kicking around a bit in terms of media outlets. So that's to say, have we reached now after a few years of streaming, more than a few years, a situation where most people roughly who are going to subscribe have in a, in figure, figures. So, yes, you'll keep getting new subscribers. They'll keep happening. But at the same time, you're still losing, losing subscribers. Yeah. So are the number of subscribers that you have now, is that sort of roughly where you're going to be? And if so, not too many businesses love the fact of not having great prospects for growth. Mm. Every business wants to grow. So that's sort of what we're looking at in terms of peak subscription. And I guess for news outlets in particular, it's it's been an issue and I know it's been talked about in different places. So those who want people to pay to read what they produce and, and so they should in the sense that um, journalists need to be paid and get revenue. But it's so difficult because there's a competing element here in which that journalists think that what they produce is worth paying for. And... and I get that completely, but mm. we're so used to in news that it is seen as being free so many times that you can go and access news for free. So I think we've got that situation where news outlets seem to overrate what they produce in terms of the value to their readers. Um, and that's caused, I think, in recent times, this sort of nod to being able to keep subscriber numbers up is sort of skewing then for news outlets to the left or the right of the spectrum trying to get users who want to read publications who think a bit like they do. So trying to say, well, hang on, well, I'm going to go to, we know that there are websites that are left-leaning. We know the ones that are right-leaning. It's so clear you can see it in the content. But that's a way to differentiate themselves from other outlets. So people will pay for this because it's a particular service that they feel they can't get elsewhere. So that's been some of the trends I've been looking at to say, well, is that peak subscription here? If it is, it is a bit of a scary moment for news outlets, if that's the case. That, it, that is something that I know would keep them awake at night. But that 
having to skew towards the left and the right, Jordan. That's not the same, is it, in terms of what happens for streaming services. Mm. It's not like you have a left or a right there. But they have their their own issues, don't they, in terms of maybe looking at that peak subscription there. They definitely do. And I think they're seeing a similar problem. You know, people join lots of the streaming services to keep them entertained during the lockdowns. And, you know, after essentially two years of the disruptions, people have really forgotten about those subscriptions. So, you know, with the return to normal life now and people having less time to watch as a result, and the, now the cost of living applying a bit of extra pressure to the, uh, the back pocket. Yeah, and this week especially the cost of living with inflation talked indeed, about. Indeed, indeed. Suddenly people are starting to go, well, hold on. What am I still paying for and can I cancel a few? And that's what's happening. So I think we might have reached a peak subscription. I mean, particularly in the US, they are, people spent more time on ad-supported video on demand than they did subscription video on demand towards the end of last year, which is big. So that's that difference where you get a service that's got ads that effectively mm. pay for what you consume rather than you paying yourself. That's exactly right. And I think it's going to be very hard to change that trend. So like, is, this the, is this the next wave? Is, is the way ahead the, the ad-supported lower-cost tier option? And I think it is. And Netflix has actually said that they're open to that option at the moment. Um, I was reading a, an article in The Atlantic this week and I, one of the journalists there made this brilliant quote about you know, the problem and where he actually sees the bigger players sort of ending up in this situation. And it says, the biggest players uh, likely don't have much to worry about. Once millions of people have mistaken your service for a utility, you can do a lot before they reorder their lives to avoid paying for it. No one has ever liked a cable company, but it took a total revolution in technology to destabilise that business, which remains largely profitable, even though it's smaller than it used to be. Meanwhile, I still haven't pulled the trigger on cancelling Netflix. Even though I've realised I don't watch it at all for weeks at, weeks at a time, I still want to see the Love is Blind reunion, which won't be available until Friday. That's a great quote, isn't it? It's it a, is. That's a good way to think about that. Uh, do... You know, the likes of Netflix, are they seen like a utility company, your electricity or your, your water? You, you have to have them. You can't live without them. And that's right. We might be seeing a bit, a bit of that change in that mindset. Absolutely. I, I mean, I've certainly seen Netflix as a, as a utility, particularly through COVID. We, we jumped on and bought a few of them and uh, they've been an essential part of our entertainment at home. But felt the pinch, pinch recently and we, we have severed with a couple. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's why I wonder with um, Disney and with the acquisition of uh, Star Wars, you know, those group of people with all the Star Wars things, is that a utility for them and they can't be without that? <laughs> They've got to have Indeed. access to it all the time. But it's a great way to think about that in terms of, you know, the value that people place on it and it's simply, you know, the people who might be now, like you say, that quote, starting to think, well, hang on, you know, things have changed. And I think that battle, you know, there's two different mindsets as well to look at this. And this is in particular for news outlets. Um, are you just chasing new subscribers or are you also trying to really keep your existing subscribers engaged? Mm. And I think they're two very different mindsets. So the race to just get new subscribers has to have a different mindset to the ability to keep the existing ones happy. 
news outlets, I think, have really suffered from that in Australia over recent years where the focus has always been on new subscribers. So here's a story that's put online and the only metric that counts is, well, how many new subscribers came off that story? Now, that's why I think you've seen such a rush on school sports stories in particular and school news stories over recent years because parents want to read about what's happening with their children, want to see their children, they're proud of them, so are grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, but once those people subscribe and they see their, their kids there, and um, how are they then being kept in if the race is always to get more and more subscribers? Right. And there's been a bit of a, a change there, I think, in recent times across Australian media, which has been the understanding that, yes... Getting new subscribers is really important and still the most important metric. But now, how are we measuring what our existing subscribers are doing? Because in the end, as I said before, people like businesses that have growth potential, not the ones that think they've hit a peak and then they've got to keep going with that. So that's what an investor looks for. So I think it's a fascinating time in terms of the the discussion about this. And I guess this is what we talk about when we look at all these things and they're so uh, predicting the future and these areas is really tough. And yeah. if you hit something that's a gold mine, um, you know, like Netflix has been, as we know, the darling for so long, it was a bit of a bump in the road last week. What happens now? Um, same with Facebook and its investment, looking at the metaverse, all these things. Th- this isn't, this is a live experiment in terms of audience consumption. Like we haven't really seen before. So, We'll keep an eye on it from here because it's really interesting, as is a topic that has dominated social media circles this week, Jordan. Elon Musk uh, acquires Twitter. What do we need to know about this? Yes, he, he grabbed Twitter on Monday. Yeah, he secured, secured a deal for $44 billion US, which converts to about $62 billion Australian dollars. Enormous money, but he's still the richest man in the world. Uh, the purchase follows his previous share acquisition, which you know made Elon the largest shareholder of Twitter, and that was widely reported at the time as well. And now everyone's sort of anxiously or eagerly awaiting what he's going to do, depending on what your opinion is of Elon. <laughs> uh, they're all curious what he's going to do with the platform now. On, uh, on April 14th, he did a TED Talk interview and that actually coincided with his offer to buy Twitter becoming public. And in this chat, he outlined a few of the things he wanted to do for the platform. So he said he wanted to make Twitter better by enhancing its products and with new features. Uh, he wanted to make the algorithms on the platform open source. So he actually said he wouldn't mind putting the algorithms on GitHub, which is, for anyone unfamiliar with GitHub, is just a, it's a place where people can upload their code for various things. But as a user on there, you can edit, modify, and do whatever you want with it. Uh, he also wants to defeat spam bots and then authenticate all humans, which, you know, back <laughs> in your time in the paper, I'm sure you would have appreciated. Um, but I think his biggest motivator, and he's been very vocal about it, um, is returning free speech to Twitter. He believes that Twitter has become this de facto digital town square and that it's important that people have both the reality and the perception that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, you know, this sort of stems from, you know, what's been reported a bit that Elon didn't agree with the suspension of, of Donald Trump, yep. President Donald Trump, 
Um, and, you know, his acquisition of Twitter now has worried people that, you know, God, will Trump come back to the platform? <laughs> but um, in in classic Trump fashion, he was very quickly stamped that out. He's, he's, he will not be a part of it. He's sticking true to his truce, truth social... Uh, he doesn't want it. He's nah, done with it. he's done with it. He's done with it. He doesn't need it anymore. Um, so, yeah, Twitter, Twitter users have had mixed reactions with the news. So... Um, there's actually been reports from Twitter of large follower fluctuations, both lost and gained. So, interestingly, left-leaning users were seen to deactivate their accounts in the hundreds of thousands, and figures like Barack Obama actually lost 300,000 followers. And, his, and yeah, and that was Twitter also saying that that wasn't a cleansing of bots. No, it wasn't um, a cleansing of bots. It was Not organic. Yet, it was organic. Yes, uh, yes. change. But at the same time, and comparatively, right-leaning figures uh, on the platform saw these significant increases. So go figure, make up your mind on that one. Well, I'm not surprised. I do think that uh, Twitter is well-stocked with uh, far-left-leaning uh, people, has been for some time. It's certainly got good numbers there, so that's not a surprise. No, not at all. Um, but what's worrying a lot of people the most, I think, is... Wondering, what does Elon gain out of this? In that TED talk I mentioned that he did, uh, he explained that his purchase isn't a way to make money and that his strong intuitive sense is that having a public platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is extremely important to the future of civilization, and he doesn't, doesn't care about the economics at all. Which is probably good because Twitter has been a dog for some time it in has, terms of uh, financial returns. I mean, yeah, sure, he's the wealthiest man in the world, but that comment has worried a few people that really just think this purchase was quite personal for a personal cause. I mean, it's hard to argue. Like You talk about Facebook who has billions of users to Twitter's hundreds of millions. Yeah. They're, they're very, yeah. very, very different. Especially in Australia, we know that there's uh, less engagement here. There is here. less. So in terms of it, people suggesting there is any money, monetary gain here, I, I do believe, you know, I don't think there is much to make here. So it's hard to see what else. I think, I think the purchase would have some personal cause to him for some gain in some other way other than money. I don't know. Yeah, I'm interested by his comment about authenticating humans and mm. there's two elements to this. One, to get rid of, you know, the bots as such, but also number two, does he mean having no more anonymous accounts in the sense you've got to put your name on things and Twitter is just a wash with it is. people who use, you know, clearly fake names and, you know, if you want to have a look at Twitter at its, um, at its worst, at its feral... At its feral worst, just go and have a look at uh, different posts done from either Scott Morrison or Anthony Albanese um, during the election campaign. Yeah. Uh, Scott Morrison's Anzac Day tweet was uh, met with um, a scroll through some of those comments was just, you know... Pretty vile. It's yeah. vile. And, and the same for Anthony Albanese. He'll post something and uh, get lots of uh, advice almost always from anonymous people on Twitter. Yeah. And I think until... Elon Musk can do something about that. We, um, you know, it's it's not going to change much. But what about an effect for Australia, Jordan? Do we have an impact here? Oh, I, I don't think it's going to affect us too much. There's there's not enough Australians that are on Twitter. We just mentioned it before. There's about 5.8 million Australians that use Twitter monthly. But 
compared to Facebook, which has 16 million, you know, it's completely different. There's also the, the fact that young people just don't care about Twitter at all. And although Elon is that cool tech guy, I think we're a while away from seeing anything compelling enough to change the perception among young people of what Twitter is about and make it an interesting platform for them. Yeah, especially for young people, if they got the you know, the video content yeah. of uh, TikTok, you know, they can see that. Why would int- you go anywhere else? Why would, Why you, would go you go to Twitter? Yeah, to see some anonymous person just verbally, oh, sorry, j- just abuse someone in written form. Um, well, there's not a whole lot of uh, enticement there if you're a young person. No, but one thing I do see happening is a few of the users who have left Twitter in the past for, for whatever reasons or for perhaps even reasons that Elon or reasons like, or problems that Elon's trying to address now, I think they'll come back and sort of compare their past experience with the experience that Elon has is saying he'll create and then sort of decide whether or not it's worthwhile committing to it again. But... Overall, I don't see this affecting Australia and Twitter too much. Something that does affect a lot of Australians, iPhone users only, is autocorrect typing. And we're just going to touch on this one this week because a story we found in the Wall Street Journal, which was quite a good read, was a journalist who'd gone and looked at how autocorrect works. So when you're typing... A, a text message in your iPhone and you get so frustrated because it gives you a word that you don't really want mm. and then you've got to go back and start another word again. But the journalist went and spoke to the original um, uh, creator of autocorrect and yeah, some for, other... for Apple's iPhone. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. That's right. And just, and just went uh, and got an idea. And it's quite fascinating how it works in terms of there being, you know, and, and if I'm wrong, Jordan, let me know. There's a standard, there's a dictionary there of all sorts of words. Yep. Now then if you, then it has its own, uh, I guess, personal dictionary for you. And if you type in a word three times and use that word three times, it gets added into your own uh, one there, which is really frustrating for me because I type my name and I get it wrong yep. three times and yep. it thinks that's how I want yeah, to no, so It does. It has a static dictionary, which is just your regular dictionary, which they've input, and then it's also got the dynamic dictionary, which are for words that it's recognised you use frequently or have typed in frequently. And, yeah, that one tends to get me a fair bit. Oh, I know. And, and <laughs> fascinatingly, the, there is a banned list of words that autocorrect will never help you type. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, the original creator had to write a list of profanities and it was given the very strict ruling that it can never, ever be suggested. So you might have you know, been susceptible to typing duck numerous times. <laughs> I certainly have. Um, and that's why. It's a, it's a explicit and well-enforced rule. So no matter how many times you type in particular swear words, mm. and I certainly have never typed them in more than three times, so it wouldn't apply to my dynamic dictionary, <laughs> but it was a matter, it'll never come up for you. It'll never help you no. spell swear words. No, it will never help you spell swear words at all. It's, uh, it never wants to be found that their predictive messaging has suggested that you should swear at someone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as the journalist said, that's probably a good thing. If you want to uh, thank um, your grandmother for the lovely uh, duck she cooked you for uh, for Christmas lunch, <laughs> it probably, will, probably safest that way. Too, <laughs> it will ensure that there's uh, not anything untoward there. So there you go. There's all these 
really minor issues in the world like uh, Peep's subscription and Twitter and there's massive issues like autocorrect. Huge ones, massive. What you, you type, what you type. Um, another long weekend, Jordan, in Queensland. Any plans for you? Nothing major this weekend. I've got, um, I've just got a lot of music work this weekend. I've, I've booked from last night all the way through to Sunday. So it's, uh, it's a busy weekend. I finished with a, helping out a, a friend's, friend's hens. So I am going oh. to a colourful cowgirl party. Oh, really? For three hours by myself. Oh, my goodness. So this could be the subject of next yeah. week's podcast. It could be. It could be. Nothing bigger than autocorrect, though. <laughs> no. Well, enjoy that, and uh, we'll resume next week for another short week in Queensland. It's a long week in most other parts of the country, and uh, we'll go again. Enjoy the weekend. You too.